0: So, obviously, the p- Apostle Paul's writing this letter to Titus. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Here's the reason I left you in Crete. So, Crete's an island uh, about 70, 75 miles southeast of Greece, out in the Mediterranean Sea. People there are known as being quite rough. And uh, the, there are a lot of false teachers there. And Paul left. Timothy, excuse me, Titus, Paul had visited there a little while. We left Titus there, and he says in verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So there's some things that Paul maybe had started, not been finished, and he's leaving Titus to get that job done. One of the things that needed to occur were elders needed to be appointed in every town. You know, Dr. Holmes has mentioned this. Uh, off and on, I don't remember exactly how he's worded it, but we've talked uh, throughout the last several months about how there just seems to be a lack of laborers for the harvest. Would you agree with that? There are a lot of churches needing pastors and, and there are a lot of uh, folks that maybe could be coming to seminary and training, but they're not. There just don't seem to be as many pastors and leaders and workers as we used to have. One of the things I've seen with, at times with churches is that they tend to have this idea about what a pastor should look like. For sometimes they sit and they look at their congregations that they're, they're part of and, and they see maybe a bunch of uh, folks that are older and they think, you know what, we need some younger people here so we need a young pastor who can come or you know attract young families and that type of thing and there's nothing wrong with being a young pastor. I was a young pastor at one time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible does not tell us, examine your situation and you determine what kind of pastor you need. That's a prescription for failure right there. Why should we listen to what the Apostle Paul says about it? In the book of Titus, the first chapter, he's going to talk about the qualifications of a pastor. and You need to look at that if you're preparing for pastoral ministry. You need to look at that. We're not going to be able to cover that today you need to look at that, look over in 1 Timothy the 3rd chapter and see what the description is of a pastor an elder in the church but then Paul's also going to go on and write in chapter 2 a good bit about what the church members should be and then the 3rd chapter, end of chapter two, third chapter he's going to talk a good bit about really what a church should believe why should we listen to the apostle Paul and not decide things on our own well let's look in chapter 1 verse 1 it starts with Paul and we had a scripture reading just a moment ago from 1st Timothy chapter 1 that does a great job of describing Paul when he was Saul he was a Pharisee and you remember he said right there I was a blasphemer I was a persecutor I was a violent person and it's against the church he will tell us in 1st Corinthians that what he did was against the church So he was a very aggressive person, but yet God showed him mercy. And he says there, I love those verses in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where he says, you know, I'm the worst sinner, I'm the foremost, I'm the chiefest. And yet it was for this reason that I received mercy, so that in me as the worst, Christ might demonstrate just how patient he is. And really how merciful he is for others who would believe that gives me hope. if I'm a lost person and I'm a great sinner, I still find hope right there that I can be saved, because God has saved the worst sinner who ever lived. That's what Paul says. I was the chief. I was number one sinner in the whole world, and yet I was shown mercy. So if you are a lost person or you know a lost person who's really done a lot of you know, wicked things, he can still be saved. It gives hope. But maybe it's you, maybe you are saved, maybe you've been saved for a long, long time, maybe you're even a student here at the seminary, and you feel like God's called you to preach, but you still have this nagging past of what you used to do. And maybe you think it's hard for me to see how God could use me. Now maybe somebody like one of our professors who grew up in a, in a great Christian home has always served the Lord. Okay, I can see how the Lord could use them. But I'm not sure how he's going to use me as a person who was a deep, deep sinner. Well, I can tell you what, the best Christian in this place right here, whoever that is, the one who's lived the greatest Christian life all along, has not done what the Apostle Paul did who was a blasphemer, persecutor, the chiefest of sinners. God took him and used him to do incredible things. He can take you and use you to do incredible things. Paul was a bondservant of God. Some versions just say servant, some say slave. The idea of slavery, a bondservant, is a better way to understand that. A person who's a bondservant has is owned by someone else. He belongs to someone else. And not only does he belong, but his will belongs to his owner. He has no will of his own. His will is to do the will of his master. And that's what Paul is telling us here, that I'm a bondservant of God. My will is to do God's will. And if you're going to be a minister, you need to have this this passion For being a bondservant of God and doing His will, not your own. Not only do you want to do His will and not your own, you want to do His will rather than a group of people that tells you what God's will is. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying or not. But you could be at some congregations and there are people there telling you how you need to to serve and how you need to preach and the things you need to believe. You need to be sold out to the will of God. There are people who will tell you, they will tell you this. I've had this happen more than one time in my ministry. Where a situation has arisen, I point to the scripture, here's what the Bible teaches about that. And people literally tell me, yeah we see what the Bible says, but we will not do it that way here. We are to be bond servants of God doing His will. Paul was a bond servant of God, but he was also an apostle of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, Peter is talking there and he's saying we need to get us a, a replacement for Judas Iscariot. And so he said here's the qualifications basically. You can look at this, and uh, I won't turn there, but in Acts chapter 1 he says there's a couple things really that are needed. One is the, the person that needs to have been with Jesus his whole ministry from the time he got baptized until the time he's ascended and and been a, a witness of his resurrection well we know that the apostle Paul was not a part of that whole time and in the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he describes how Jesus was seen by all kinds of people including all the apostles and then finally he was seen by me he says which I'm the least of the apostles I don't even deserve to be an apostle but Christ had called him to be an apostle there are no apostles today in the sense of this now you can probably go online and find lots of apostles there are people who call themselves apostles but we don't need man called apostles we need to pay attention to the God called apostles that existed back in this time and what they said and wrote down in scripture that's what we need to pay attention to are y'all with me on this? Okay, I'm just not sure there. The brights are a little light, I can't see your expressions that well. But we need to pay attention to what the apostles said. And Paul says, I'm a bond servant. I'm an apostle of Jesus. Well, for what reason is Paul a bondservant and an apostle? Well, the end of verse 2, excuse me, verse 1 tells us that. It's for the purpose or for the faith of those chosen of God. And the knowledge of truth. So you've got two things here. It's not the whole thing, but let's just pause here for a moment. You've got this faith of God's chosen. And then you have the knowledge. The growing and increasing in knowledge, uh, thorough knowledge of the truth. The truth would be the gospel. The truth would be all the things that a Christian should believe. And Paul is saying this is the reason I'm an apostle. It's for the sake of... The faith of those who God has chosen. You know, I, I just want—I just want to touch on this a moment. You know, our doctrinal statement mentions God's sovereignty and, and human freedom, and those things are, I think, balanced in the Scriptures. You see, uh, you see them repeated. You see them talked about in the same passages. John one talks about. God's sovereignty and talks about human freedom. You see it in Ephesians 1. You see Romans 9 and Romans 10. They talk about it. I use the illustration of a railroad track that if you have railroad tracks and and one of them you make larger than the other you're going to have a train wreck. Or if you make one smaller than the other you're going to have a train wreck. You just have to trust that they're there. You see evidence of them in scripture. Don't overemphasize. Don't try to push them closer together. You know you push train rails together, you're gonna to cause a train wreck. It, it's just here they are. They're set here. The one who designed the train made these railroad tracks so that the train could run on these tracks. So we don't need to mess with those tracks. They're just accept that there are two tracks. I think you see evidence of that in the book of Second Timothy, chapter one, I just want to read this because we're talking about Paul here for the sake of God's chosen for their faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, he's talking about the power of God. In verse 9, it says, "Who saved us and called us with a holy calling according not according not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity." There are folks who say that God looked down the corridors of time, and He saw down there somewhere. Oh, you know, oh Philip Atterbury is going to make a profession of faith. Oh, oh, Charlie Holmes is going to choose me, and so then, boom, they become chosen because God looks at the corridors of time and see what will happen. I find it hard to read to see that in this passage. Okay, and now this is not me talking. It's not John Calvin talking. This is the Apostle Paul talking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That God saved us, God called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. He didn't look down there and see my works and decide, okay, now I'm going to choose him. But the whole thing was according to his purpose and his grace. And he did this long, long time ago, back in eternity. But at the same time, I understand what I'm going to say next because I've thought it myself in the past. Well, if I really believe that, well, why why witness to anybody? Well, look at Second Timothy chapter two, verse ten. Paul has been talking about suffering in in chapter one, and in chapter two, he invites Timothy to suffer with him, and he says, "Here's why I'm enduring these things." In verse ten, he says, "For the reason, for this reason, I endure the things." I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen. What's he enduring for their sake? What's the forsake? Well, he goes on to say, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul seems to say, yeah, God chose people back in time. But right now... I have a responsibility to endure all things to bring the message to them so that those who are chosen can obtain that gift of eternal life. The word obtain there is in a uh, an active voice. What Paul is saying is that those people who are chosen have a responsibility to take the gift of eternal life that God has chosen for them to have. Then when you look back in Titus chapter 1 he says "I'm, I'm I'm an apostle for the faith, for the salvation of those who are chosen of God. I need to witness and I need to share the gospel. And if you're going to be an effective pastor, you need to have an evangelistic ministry. You need to be thinking like the apostle Paul. We need to share the gospel with those who need to be saved. But then also you have the knowledge of the truth. Some folks, some scholars have looked at this and say you see the two things here, the faith of the chosen and the knowledge of the truth that you see salvation and you see sanctification. That's something you see often throughout Scripture. You see Jesus concerned about people being saved. But then he was concerned about being sanctified. And that's what we see here. The Apostle Paul was concerned about that. Now I can get saved but not grow spiritually. That's, that's not right. That's not what we need. We need people who are, grown, are, are saved and then they grow in their sanctification. And as I grow in my sanctification, what is to be the result of that? What's the natural result of a saved person who's growing in knowledge of God and getting sanctified? Well, the, the end result would be godliness. And that's what t- Paul's writing to Titus at the end of verse 1, which is according to godliness. The salvation, the faith of God's chosen, the knowledge of the truth, all that's according to godliness. I don't know, I I can speak passionately about this because I know I've done it myself. But I say that there's no way a person could actually go and attend a worship service and actually worship the Lord Jesus Christ and leave without being changed. And yet I tell you that many, many people will attend church Sunday. Many attended church this past Sunday. And maybe they heard a great message from the scriptures. But many people, as soon as the sunlight hit their face and their feet hit the sidewalk out there, they forever, never, never, never again will remember anything you just said. You cannot say you attended church and worshiped God if you leave and there's not a step toward godliness. More godliness in your life. This whole deal about godliness, what's kind of the basis for that? Verse 2 says well in the hope of eternal life. Some versions say that this godliness and the faith and all rest upon the hope of eternal life. Now first of all hope is is not just man I, I hope that I'm going. I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. I don't know if I have eternal life. I hope I do but I may not. It's not a Hope like that but it's a confidence there is eternal life some people say I don't know if you can really know for what, what there is after this world but we can know we can have confidence there is eternal life probably the idea there is not so much that these things rest upon the certainty of eternal life but more with a view toward eternal life and this, this could be arguable. I've seen different scholars say different things about it. But the idea could well be here that the Apostle Paul is just his whole ministry has eternal life in mind. That he's thinking about eternity. I remember a friend of mine years ago used to get, I mean when I was like a teenager, he used to get so frustrated with me and, and called me narrow-minded. It was a young lady that I knew. And she said, Philip, you're so narrow-minded. You know, because you always won't do what the Bible says, things like that. And I said, listen, I know you think I'm narrow-minded. But you're the one who's narrow-minded. Because all you're thinking about is right now. And fulfilling life right now. I'm thinking about eternity. That's a lot broader than what you think. And so that's how Paul, I think, looked at ministry. He thought about the fact that it's not just getting through this day. It's not just living one day at a time, which that's fine. Sometimes you just got to do that to get through. But Paul has this big picture in mind of eternity. We I won't read all the passage. I'll just paraphrase a little bit. But you know that in eternity, there's a couple at the end of things. There's a great white throne judgment. And people stand before the Lord there, all the dead, and those whose name is not found in the book of life are cast into eternal damnation. But then there are others Paul talks about who will stand before the Lord one day. These are believers because he's writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking about people who stand on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. So these are people who are saved, but he says be careful how you build on this foundation of Jesus. It's in 1 Corinthians 3. Well, he says, be careful how you build. Because some people are going to build with with gold and silver and precious stones. And others are going to build with wood, hay, and stubble. But every man's work, every man's building is going to be set on fire. Now, if you set fire to gold and silver, it it will change it, but it won't burn it up. And what he's trying to illustrate here is that you build your life with precious, eternal things. You think about Jesus when he said, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves cannot break in and steal. So when you're building your life with those kind of treasures, then when your house is set on fire, it will remain and you'll receive a reward. But on the other hand if your house is built of wood and hay everybody knows what happens when you put fire to to, to hay, dry grass, it burns up. And so if you've built your life with temporary things that just don't last, that can't stand the fire then, then it'll all burn up. And Paul says that person will suffer loss. There won't be rewards for that person, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved because he's on the foundation, Paul says. But he'll get in just so as by fire. One pastor I heard one time said, what that means is that he'll get through, but he'll smell like smoke throughout eternity. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I think Paul would say, I'm looking toward what's going to happen in eternity and in the judgments and things. And, and you know you keep that in mind and you and you know that there is, that Jesus is going to come back one day. And you know that there's going to be judgments like a, the judgment seat of Christ and, and you know that your works are going to be tried by fire and you and you know there's the possibility for rewards and you know as Revelation says that at least some people are going to cast their crowns down at the feet of Jesus. You know that's coming. You know that there are things that treasures that can be laid up in heaven that don't that don't rust that the thieves can't can't break in and steal and you know that there's going to be a time for some people when they hear the words of the Lord, well done good and faithful servant. Knowing that all that is laying ahead for me. That should inspire me to live a life of godliness. That should inspire me and motivate me to, to accept Christ as Savior and to grow in my knowledge of Him and live a godly life there are many people who are even in church that again will leave church and their ideas are not to, to set treasures up in heaven they're, they're, they're more interested in salvation as a fire insurance you know or just get away from the fire eternal, eternal fire But we should be like the Apostle Paul and recognize here that our ministry should be focusing on eternal things. See, God, who cannot lie, promised that long, long time ago. Back in ages past, before eternity began, God promised that. Before the earth was created, before time began, God promised that. Well, who did he promise it to? Well, he promised it to Christ. With himself, God made a promise within the Godhead. Well, all those things happened a long time ago. But verse 3 says, but at the proper time, at the appropriate time, in due time, some versions say, at the proper time, God manifested even his word. And he did it in the proclamation. That, some versions say preaching. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. In the preaching of his word. You know, I like different kinds of music. I like to go to concerts and things like that. But he doesn't say that it's through concerts that we'll have this message. All, all kinds of things. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to insult anything, but there's so many things that we tend to look to to think, this is how we're going to reach people and, and not with the gospel. Not with the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are a lot of folks that don't have any interest in the Bible, but their own ideas. But what happened here is that Paul says, I was entrusted with that message according to the commandment of God our Savior. God commanded Paul to preach, not Paul's mother. Paul didn't decide on on his own, but God called him to that. God appointed him, God commanded him to that. I love Paul's description of his preaching when he spoke to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter two. I want to read a few verses there. He says, "When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with super, uh, excuse me, superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified." I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see what he's saying there? I've, I've told folks recently, I think if you went back 40 years ago and you heard Philip Atterbury preach... Probably you would have heard him wanting to preach the word. He, he wanted to do that. But you likely would have heard him telling a lot of jokes and using his skill that he had kind of developed as a public speaker. You would have heard him using that. He would have wanted to preach the word, but he would have had to say to you, if he, looked, if he, if he was honest and he, and he knew, he would say, nobody has shown me how to study my Bible. Nobody has shown me how to expound the Scripture because that's the way it was. He he knew a good bit of Scripture. He would memorized a lot, but nobody's shown him how to take it and put it into a biblically-based message. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that he didn't show up and put on Mr. Personality. He didn't put that on. He didn't tell the jokes. Say, yeah. And he didn't do all that. But he determined to know Jesus and him crucified. He determined to know the word of God. And he did not come with the superfluity of speech and the personality and the, you know, the, the, the words are used. Some of those words there are used of like the commercial advertisements of the day. And he didn't come to be like an advertiser. Sell, a salesman. Because he did not want your faith to be in his personality. He wanted the faith to be in the word of God and the message. And when we look at the message here, the proclamation and the preaching, it's not the speaking itself. The emphasis here is on the message is, is what Titus uh, Paul is telling Titus to do. That comes from God our Savior, that commandment. Well, let me see if I can wrap this up here. All right. One is, I think if you're church is looking for a pastor you need to have some of this in mind does your pastor have an eternal view of ministry is he concerned about faith but spiritual growth that leads to godliness Except, you know your are students you're not a church looking for a pastor but I'm telling you if you're a church you need to look for that so if you're a pastor you need to be that if you're looking to be a pastor you need to be that there's several things here about God In case you didn't notice, I mean it's just, you could read this passage and not realize how many times the word God is repeated. But Paul was God's slave. God has chosen people. God cannot lie. And God has promised eternal life. God is the one who manifested his word and God is the one who commanded and trusted to Paul that message of preaching. As a result, Paul has authority because he's sold out to God. He's a, he's a bondservant. He's an apostle of Christ. And he has been commanded by God to preach the word. Paul also had a ministry. His ministry was to focus on the, the, the salvation, the faith of God's chosen. Uh, they're growing in knowledge and they're becoming godly. All that with a view toward eternal life. Paul had confidence. God who cannot lie. And God who commanded him to do that preaching. What we need, gentlemen and ladies, we need God-called pastors with eternal perspectives that focus on salvation and sanctification and the Word of God. You can follow Paul's example. You can be sold out to God. You're not going to be an apostle. You're not going to be gifted that way. But the gifts that God gives you, use them. Paul was called to be an apostle. You are gifted in other ways. Be sold out. Use your gifts that God has given you. Salvation and knowledge that you have, is that leading to a more godly life? I've been to meetings. You know, I go to meetings with folks from other seminaries. And, um, man, some of them they've got education but they're immoral in their lifestyles I mean they make it known well I don't want you to be a seminary student here and be an ungodly person I pray you're saved I pray you're growing in knowledge and I pray that leads to godliness We need churches that are focused and geared toward helping the growth, spiritual growth of their people so they become more godly. We need to live with views toward eternity. Thinking about being ready for eternity. Ready when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when our people will, think about the big picture. When you stand before God one day as a pastor... And, you, and, and you've decided to compromise and not preach the word but to give little talks and things like that you've decided not to do uh, church the way the Bible says then when you stand before God I tell you the Lord's not going to say oh I'm glad you decided that you were smart enough to figure out that in 2023 that church wouldn't work that way oh well, whew, well, I'm glad you made the change that will not happen And you think about that no matter the pressure that people put on you to compromise your commitment to the scripture, don't compromise. You need to have a hunger for preaching the word of God and folks in our church need to have a hunger for hearing the preaching of the word of God. And at last, let me just say, do you know for certain that you have eternal life? There are folks who claim to have it but there's no fruit or evidence of it. You need to think about that in your own life. But people know that I'm a believer. Would they Would they accept it? If I'm a believer. And if they heard that say yeah I, I can see that. I can believe that. Let's pray.